Lord, open my lips that my mouth may proclaim your praise. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Welcome to this second Sunday in the Christmas season. On the 6th, we start the Epiphany season because it's the feast of the Epiphany when the wise men came to the manger. So there's a lot going on today. And then also, it's a Sunday after New Year's Day. So, Happy New Year's Day as well. Um, I wonder if any of you made any resolutions for uh, New Year's, saying goodbye to 2014 and looking forward to 2015. For some, 2014 wasn't such a good year. For others, it was an okay year. The question is, what are you hoping for for 2015? On the personal front, are you hoping for better health? Are you hoping for an increase in salary? Are you hoping for reconciliation in the family? Uh, What are your hopes personally? On the national front, are you hoping for some kind of political reform, for justice, for government to do something about the school killings, the violence in our cities? Uh, The list goes on. On the world front... Are you hoping for a cessation of terrorist activity and the violence that has marred 2014 for no more natural disasters, no more plane crashes? And what is your hope founded? If you're hoping for better health, is it founded on doctors and hospitals and medicine? If you're looking for a higher income, is it founded on your company? For our national life, is it founded on politicians, the president, government, world leaders, or our own abilities? I think you probably know all of those eventually disappoint us. That's a wavy foundation, an unsure foundation on which to place our hope. Eventually, at the end of the year, if we've placed our hope there, we will be disappointed because those are human things, they're human institutions, and they're just frail people like we are. Um, But we've tried over the years, haven't we, um, as a society, to try and bring utopia on earth. Um, In fact, there's a town in Florida called Ruskin that was founded to try and be such a place. John Ruskin was an English philosopher, and his philosophies about utopian society were brought over here in the hopes of creating one in Ruskin, Florida. I have to say it didn't work. And then on the other end of the spectrum, um, people will put in more and more and more laws, rules and regulations for every aspect of common life together in an attempt to make it a just society. Um, We saw that that didn't work either, although there are places that are still trying to do that. And in our Western culture, We've thought that if we could um, just tolerate each other, um, just be tolerant of everything, then, um, you know, we'll get along okay. But if this last year has taught us anything, it's taught us that there is evil in the heart of man. 
And we can be, <coughs> we cannot be tolerant of evil. In fact, we must be totally intolerant of evil. But who gets to decide what's evil and what is sin? And so each year we hope for a better year. Most, th- most years, some things are better, some things are worse. And if we hope in people or institutions, we will come to the end of the year disappointed. But I want to tell you today that there is hope. It's not found in human institutions. It's not found in people. It's found in the baby in the manger. Our sure hope is found in this baby in the manger. All other things will eventually disappoint us. This God-made man will never, ever, ever disappoint us. We're called to a sure hope in him, and he is the difference between hope and despair. Paul's prayer for the church in Ephesus is that they will recognize this hope. They'll recognize the hope to which they have been called. And two millennia later, it's his ongoing prayer for us that we will recognize the hope to which we've been called. And um, you can see in your your bulletin insert, if you go to the letter to the Ephesians, Paul, first of all, before actually getting to the crux of his prayer for the Ephesians, he sets the context for all prayer. Because the context for all prayer is the worship of God. It's what God has already done in our lives, for us, in the world. And so he starts off by praising God, blessing God. We bless God, bless him for the blessing of Christ, all the spiritual blessings which have been given to us. We've done nothing. We're passive in that. The action is on God's part. He has done that. He All spiritual blessings which have been given to us in the heavenly places and which include, not the least of which, which includes our being adopted as his children and made holy and blameless before him in love through Christ. So that's all God's work. All of that is God's prior work for us and we're invited into it. All of those blessings. And so Paul just goes on and on this wonderful paean of thanksgiving and praise and blessing. God loves everybody, you see. He loves everybody he's created. But as Paul says, we're adopted through Christ. We're actually made sons and daughters and can call God Father only in Christ. But how huge that is to be invited into God's family, adopted into God's family as sons and daughters. It's all gift, Paul says. He says, it's his glorious grace that he freely bestowed on us in the beloved, having established the foundation, the ground on which we may offer prayers to God. He then goes ahead and offers the prayer for the Ephesians and for us today also. He prays that they would receive a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that with the eyes of the heart enlightened. Three things. 
They may know the hope to which they have been called. They may know the riches of their inheritance among the saints. They may know the immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe. So with the spirit of wisdom, he prays for a spirit of wisdom to fall on all of us, spirit of wisdom and revelation, so that the eyes of our heart, yes, we use our minds, we've been given our minds, we've been given rational thought. It's part of our created order, but there's another understanding. There's another knowing. The spiritual eyes of our heart which will also open up more for us that our, than just our physical eyes can see. And so his prayer is, is that with the eyes of our heart opened, we'll know, we'll know surely what is the hope to which we've been called. What are the riches of our inheritance? And what is the immeasurable power for us in Christ? For us who believe. You see, we live in a world, don't we, where there is good and evil, where there is justice and injustice, where there is wealth and where there is poverty, where there is kindness, where there is violence, where there is health, where there is sickness and where there is death. And sometimes the scales seem to be weighted to the dark side. It seems that um, the scales are out of balance and that darkness is winning. But that's what we see with our eyes. That's what we see with our physical eyes. Paul is praying that with the eyes of our heart enlightened, we will see the hope to which we have been called. And the hope is found in the manger. Because with this baby, hope is what we have. Because light has come into the darkness. And scripture tells us darkness will never overcome it. Light has pierced the gloom. Light has come into all the darkness. And whatever the darkness throws at it, nothing will extinguish that light. The eyes of our heart enlightened so that we can see what is the sure hope to which we are called. The darkness will never overcome the light. And with that, our worldview shifts. It shifts into not just this short period of three score years and ten or four score years and ten. It shifts out. It shifts way out to eternity. See, our time here is a small time, but we have eternity. And so if we know that sure hope, see, we can live unafraid of dying. And we can die assured of living. That changes a worldview. That hope that we have the sure hope with the eyes of our hearts enlightened, the light will not be extinguished. And because of this baby, and because of God incarnate, Emmanuel, God with us, and what he did for us, we're not constrained to this short time of life here. We have eternity. And the sure hope is that he will return. 
and a new heaven and a new earth in resurrected bodies. Paul prays that we will know the riches of our inheritance. We think in this day and age, when we think of inheritance, we probably think of um, financial inheritance. You know, Aunt May left me so so much money. Um, But actually, inheritance is so much bigger than that. It used to be, you know, when you inherited, you inherited land, you inherited buildings, the family house maybe, you inherited the name. You were part of a family. And all that that meant, you're an inheritor of that. Well, as we've been adopted as God's children, as sons and daughters, that's our inheritance. All that God has. We're inheritors of all of the riches of the Father. That's everything that was created. Here we're told that we will rule with Christ. We will reign with him. That's our inheritance. Our inheritance is is to be entered into this family by nothing that we do. We can't do a thing. But it's just a gift that's been given to us. And that's the riches of our inheritance in Christ. When he returns, a new heaven and a new earth, in the same resurrected body as Christ has already received. And then he prays that we will know the immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe. The immeasurable greatness of his power. What is that power? Well, it's the power that first created all that there is. And it's the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Not a resuscitated body like Lazarus's that would eventually die. A resurrected body, a different body. The power that's never been done before. It's never been done since. But it's that power. And it's that power, the greatness of his power for us. For us who believe in the words of N.T. Wright, the power which raised Jesus and which will transform the whole world and flood it with his glory is in fact already available for us. This doesn't mean that we can become conjurers performing spectacular tricks to impress people. Many of the things which God's power achieves in us, such as putting secret sins to death and becoming people of prayer, remain hidden from the world and even sometimes from other Christians. But when he speaks of Christ as exalted over all possible rulers and authorities, we know that he means what he says. See, Christ is right now ruler. We sang about him being king. He is King Jesus. That means he is king, not just in the heavenly realm, but he is king over all the earth. We don't see it with our physical eyes yet, but know this. Have the eyes of your heart enlightened to know that he is king. His authority is ultimate. Over all, 
over the local magistrates and officials, provincial rulers and governors, kings, princes, emperor himself in that point in time, all are subject to King Jesus, and they continue to be. They are all put under his feet. This is God's purpose for humankind, that we should be sovereign over the whole creation. This is what has been accomplished in Jesus the Messiah. He is the truly human being before whom all the world must bow. But that power does not remove us from persecution. It doesn't take us out from persecution. It doesn't take us out from danger, from difficulty, or from death. But it makes us more than conquerors in all such things. This is not a power to work magic and escape difficulty, but a power to live in the context of an evil world. It gives us the power to live as light in the darkness. For the power of evil around us is no match for the power of Jesus within us. Hang on to that. The power of evil around us is no match for the power of Jesus within us. And that power is released through prayer. We know that as a congregation. My prayer, my hope going forward into 2015, and my sure hope founded on Jesus Christ, is that we will shoulder into that more and more. That we will lean into that more and more. That we will deepen each of our prayer lives personally and corporately. And in doing so, his power will be released through us. Through us and for us. Through us for this community. Through us for the nation. Through us for the world. And for us, each individually. For the light has come, and darkness will never overcome it. But it is not just for us. The wise men remind us that they came to pay homage, but they didn't stay. They took that good news back with them. And that's for us to do also. We're not just to take the good news into ourselves and feel good about what this good news provides for us. But this prayer that Paul has prayed for the church at Ephesus and for each of us here is also for everybody out there. That a spirit of wisdom and revelation will fall. That the eyes of the hearts will be opened that they will see the hope to which they have been called, that God has gone out ahead of them, the riches of their inheritance in Christ, and the immeasurable power for those who believe in him. That's our sure hope, founded on a sturdy foundation People and institutions will let us down, but that foundation never, ever will. In the words of David McCasland, as the spiritual darkness of our world grows deeper, the light of Christ shines more brightly through all those who know and love him. 
Jesus is our hope today, tomorrow, and forever. And so may the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him, so that with the eyes of your heart enlightened, you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. Amen.